Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today's the last day of the season. Tomorrow begins a new era for the Mets. At noon tomorrow, the Mets will introduce David Stearns as their new president of baseball operations. And task one for David will be to hire a new manager. Buck Showalter announcing today that he and the Mets have parted ways after two seasons. Well, I think these are very sobering uh, days. It always uh, harks back to when I was a player and DFA'd. Um, now you have a manager who publicly now and all the tabloids and all the pundits will discuss his last couple of years. Manager of the year two years ago, 180 wins about the last couple of years, not good enough with this new baseball ops te- uh, team coming in. And I don't know, it j- it's just, it's a sad day. It's always a sad day when publicly you have to let go of a manager. There's only 30 teams. Bucks managed 22 years with five different teams. He's won four Manager of the Year awards. He's never gotten the brass ring, though, and he thought he had a real good chance with this team, and it just didn't happen. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, October the 1st, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, that's a wrap on the 2023 baseball season, at least for the New York Mets. An eventful day out in City Field. I nearly came to you this morning and I said, eh, let me at least let this season finish out. And good thing I did because the whole show would have had to be changed if I, if I had done that. Uh, Buck Showalter let go, oh, just about right before game time. We'll talk about that. Daniel Murphy was in town this weekend. I think there's some lessons to be learned from Murphy and maybe even David Stearns, who might be the smartest guy in the room from what I keep getting told, could maybe learn from Murphy in Mets history. We'll get into that. Milestones, you had a couple of milestones this week, namely Francisco Lindor, the 30-30 club, what do milestones mean going forward? Are we seeing them be de-emphasized? I took a little bit of a look into that, and we'll get into all the questions that we had post-deadline. 
when it was really just a reboot of the getting to know you phase with the New York Mets, and we'll chat about that. But to start out, as I reflected on the last day of the season, and unfortunately us as Mets fans have had plenty of these non-postseason last day of the seasons. It's almost like the last day of school where you're there to empty out your locker and get the heck out of there, as you know. Uh, we've had this familiar feeling is, I'll be honest with you, a familiar feeling of sadness really comes down to it. And what an appropriate background the whole week with how miserable for the last week the weather was. I mean, I'm not even going to get into the, the playing conditions on the field and Miami and all their discontent and what the Mets grounds crew did and didn't do. I don't care about that. But what an appropriate background because baseball and we talked a little bit about this last year after the Mets were eliminated by the Padres. Baseball is this thing that's in our lives from, if you're fanatical like all of us who are listening to this, from about Valentine's Day when pitchers and catchers report, all the way, if your team goes deep, to a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving. It encompasses the end of winter, spring, summer, the beginning of fall. And after you go through the hot stove and the holidays and then that post-Christmas, post-New Year downer that you get because, the, you know, your area is all lit up with lights and festivities and, yeah, it's cold and the winter's here, but there's that bustling about the holidays. You know, January, that January 2nd or January 1st, post-New Year, all the way to pitchers and catchers, especially if you're in the Northeast and, and because we didn't get any snow last year, I'm sure it's going to be as cold as you know what this year. We're going to get pounded and you and I are going to be, you know, doing a lot of hot, hot stove with hot chocolate by this microphone this off season. You have that period of time where it's kind of depressing. I'll be honest with you. You know, the weather stinks. It, it You know, it's dark most of the day. You leave the house in dark. You come home in dark. You can't wait for spring. You're tired of the you know, the holidays are over. You're tired of the winter. By February 1st, you can't wait for winter to be over, especially if you get a lot of snow. And this is kind of like a reminder of what's to come and somewhat of a of a sunset, a sunset of a season. And each night, you have Gary, Keith, and Ron, Howie Rose, Keith Rad, who did a great job his first year, Pat McCarthy, you know, some new voices that the Mets have incorporated into their booths on the radio. And, you know, regardless of what, the team does, this is part of your life every night. Even if you check out after a couple of innings, it's something to talk about. You have that social network. You're on Twitter. You're on Facebook. You hang out with your friends. You go to ball games. You tailgate. And that camaraderie, I mean, there's, you know, let's face it. We all have busy lives. You're working. You have families. You got a lot going on. You don't have this infinite amount of time to socialize. For some of us, the ballpark whether it be virtually on Twitter and watching from home or going to, you know, certain amount of ball games is our social circle. And I think even you and I, even though we don't know each other per se, I've corresponded with many of you over email, maybe met a couple of you. We've had some fans on the show. We've developed a connection and I'll still be here. I'll be here every week. You know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not saying goodbye. But I really think the way I would start a closing time show is to really look at what today is. It's really like that last day of school. You're there, you're supposed to be doing schoolwork, but you're really there to say goodbye, get your books out of your locker and get the heck out. And there's a certain amount of sadness now. When I was in school, it was like I couldn't wait for it to be over. I was like, ah, it's been a grind. But you accomplished a lot. You grew a lot as, as an individual. And maybe for some of us, and I know I fall into this category, 
when you go through a baseball season, things happen in your life. And if the team does certain things, you connect it to your personal experience in your life. And there's a certain amount of sadness, you know, not being able to go to the ballpark and what have you. So that was kind of like the way I woke up this morning. I've been thinking about that over the last few days. And, uh, and then we get thrown with, again, you know, we've seen this movie play out in 2018 and 2019 and during the pandemic craziness of 2020 and 2021. We're heading into another offseason of change and somewhat un- of uncertainty, a situation that we did not think as the pitch- as pitchers and catchers reported back in February that we would be facing going into the offseason of 2023 into 2024. I mean, look, if anybody told you that the wild card would take about 85 wins and the Mets wouldn't be able to muster 85 wins after, forget Correa. I mean, even when Correa, the situation fell off the cliff, you would be laughed at, you know, and, and that's exactly where we're at. So Buck is gone, but, and we'll get to that. I have a lot of thoughts about that. But what did we learn? You know, let me start there. What did we learn? I'd come to you after Scherzer and Verlander were traded. And I said, you know, there's a few things we're going to learn about this club. And I expected them basically to, you know, lose 90 games. They nearly did. I know that there's this suspended game that might mean they'll win, what, 75 games? So they finished with about 75 wins. You know, they were a little bit better than you would expect. But look, after that six-game losing streak, right after they tore the team apart, where they had that hangover, this was basically a 500 club, a club that pitched better. I mean, they have the fifth best starting pitching since August 1st in baseball. That's crazy when you think about it with names like Lucchese, McGill, Buto, Peterson in the rotation. Yeah, you have Quintana. Yeah, Singa had a lot to do with that when he pitched at a very, very high level throughout the last few weeks. But who would have thought that? Two Hall of Famers out the door, no Scherzer, no Verlander, and they're achieving this? That's crazy when you think about it. You still have these core offensive players. You know, Alonzo reminded you that he's still... A very elite power hitter. He brings a lot to the table. Lindor made history 30-30. He joins a very rare club. A club that's growing, but a rare club. Jeff McNeil, yeah, he had some injuries. It turns out he wasn't all healthy all the time throughout the bulk of the season. He started to return to form and show you that he's still Jeff McNeil. And Brandon Nimmo, again, an elite run creator, elite leadoff hitter, uh, you know, in his prime, you know, did what he normally does. All of these guys are in their prime. And then maybe Alvarez is going to join them as here he is. I think he's just behind Johnny Bench in terms of home runs for a catcher under the age of 21. So you still have some you know, strong core of offensive players and maybe somebody joining them. And you have some really good. I mean, what you learned about the rotation is there's some really solid mid-rotation arms in Quintana and Singa. Maybe Singa's a scooch better. You certainly could... Pencil in a competition for the back end of the rotation with Lucchese, McGill, Butu again, strong today, Peterson. There's going to be a competition if these guys are back in the spring, and that's a lot of depth, and that's a good thing to have. I mean, think about the concerns that teams have. You need those 8, 9, 10 starters. Mets might have four very interesting guys that could give them a lot to think about when they're in Port St. Lucie come March, and that's, that's a good thing. Uh, and I bet you had no idea that the starting pitching was that good since August 1st because I didn't. Now, outside of Alvarez, there's still a lot of questions. We didn't get a lot of our questions about the kids answered. We don't know what to think of Mauricio. He's dynamic. He shows some really interesting uh, you know, offensive trends. Maybe he doesn't have a position, but he's interesting. Beatty does not look like a big leaguer. 
Vientos does not look like he could consistently hit, and he strikes out way too much. You know, he's very, very iffy. All the kids outside of Alvarez are iffy, and at least Alvarez, who really had a season where he had those great uh, peaks, those really horrible valleys, but throughout, I'll give the kid credit, he was able to maintain a defensive profile. Now, it's not the same defensive profile that you need, like pre-pitch clock and bigger bases and things like that, but who would have thought that what really impressed me most about Alvarez would be his defense? I never had that on the bingo card, I'll tell you that. But for the first time, and I think this is where I would sum where the Mets are at going into David Stern's press conference tomorrow at noon. For the first time since Sandy, Sandy Alderson took over in 2010, we really don't know where this Mets team is going. We have more questions than answers. And Billy Epler wasn't lying when he said that Vegas would look kindly upon the Mets going into spring training 2024, even though there was some debate over fire sale, non-fire sale, are they contending? Are they taking a step back? But what we know is, and I know this, I feel pretty confident in saying this, is that no matter what they do this offseason, there is going to be a component and a big component of the 2024 Mets that we will go into spring training not knowing what to expect. And our attitude will be, let's sit back and watch. And I will tell you even further, this year, the getting to know you phase as you build the team in the first third of the season was about these veterans kind of working themselves in the shape after the WBC and figuring out the pitch clock. That's over. The pitch clock and all that stuff, it's not even a factor. You are going to be truly getting to know, potentially, some young players with no resume that are going to be asked to take on, possibly, an important role in the 2024 Mets. And a 2024 Mets team that we've been told, and we'll see what David Stern says tomorrow, that plans on competing to be in the tournament, plans on to compete for a playoff spot. And what we're going to learn is this. Can you rebuild and win at the same time? Because that's what really the Mets are doing. Will the Mets have patience and let the kids develop? How much patience will they have with the kids? What prospects, and I'll tell you what, this may be something that very quickly comes down. What prospects are you going to keep? What prospects are you going to hug? Because Juan Soto, if he's available, he ain't going to come cheap. I have no idea why Shohei Otani would come to this club now that they don't have a manager. I have no idea. Why would you Why would you even think, yeah, maybe the Mets will offer the most money I've seen reports, but what would make you think that? And Yamamoto, maybe, maybe he doesn't want to come into what looks like a very uncertain situation. It's going to be hard to sell everybody on this because Cohen is now on his third manager. He inherited Rojas, fine, fired him, Buck took over. Now he Buck's on him. That's his hire, along with Epler. And now he's on his third manager. So this idea of stability since Cohen took over, that's a falsehood. The last time the Mets and you really knew where they were going was when Alderson took over in 2010. You knew they were going into baseball purgatory and rebuilding. He was honest about it. They truly didn't. They did a half measure rebuild because they kept right and Reyes. Conversation not for today. And... They were a little lucky with their rebuild because some of the assets that were left over for the Manaya regime turned out to be a boon on the pitching side. And ever since the Mets won a pennant, and it's ironic, on a weekend when Daniel Murphy was in town retiring, saying goodbye to Mets fans, remembering that great run in 2015 that seems like yesterday, but it's nearly a decade ago. Say goodbye. 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. After that last out, and the Royals won the championship on City Field soil, the Mets were chasing relevancy with the clock ticking on their starting rotation from that point forward. Once the pandemic hit and the Syndergaards of the world went kablooey and Wheeler walked out the door and DeGrom broke down and Harvey was no longer relevant, the Mets have basically for the last couple of years been trying to use a new owner, the wealthiest owner in the sports checkbook, to put together the 1997 Marlins so they could have some glory while they were trying to rebuild and create their own sustainable Los Angeles Dodgers run type of team. And it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And, you know, this, I hear a lot of people say this was one of the worst seasons in Mets history, one of the more frustrating seasons in Mets history. I don't know about that. I can tell you that from a standpoint of watching baseball, it wasn't the most fun season. I felt very disconnected from this team a lot. I found this team being more of a chore to watch. And I truly feel there was a hangover from Atlanta and San Diego last year. A hangover that got worse when Diaz crumpled down in a pile in Miami during the WBC. And quite honestly, with all the other stuff going on with the pitch clock and and the injuries and whatnot, it was a team that really never got themselves going. Now, I can't argue with them ripping it apart and building up the farm system, using Cohen's money to basically to pay for prospects. I'm not going to argue with them on that. But when you look at those final wild card standings, and you see a team like Miami that played pretty much as I predicted because I felt they were good enough with their pitching. I said this last year when they lost all those one-run games to be a slog of a low 80s win team that you're not going to be comfortable playing. When you see those win totals of Arizona and Miami, and you say to yourself, man, at 50 and 55 or wherever they were around the deadline or when they they traded David Robertson, I don't see why, with keeping the band together, they couldn't have maybe added a couple of bullpen arms and made a run at it. Now, water under the bridge, and it would have been a risk because you would have sat here and would have had tons more questions, especially if Scherzer was injured, because then you were going to be banking on him to come back. And right now, I think they're in a better place for a reboot than they would have been if they had held on to everybody. So I'm not going back and crying over spilt milk. But I will tell you, when David Stearns takes the podium tomorrow, I'm not here to to bow at his altar. This isn't Bill Parcells coming to the Jets. This isn't Pat Riley taking over the Miami Heat. This isn't Branch Rickey coming to town. Okay, this guy has a nice resume. I'm sure he's a smart guy. He is, if you wanted to talk about him in terms of, of ball player acquisition, he's probably the best free agent acquisition in the front office that you could get. The Mets got their man. And maybe he'll go down as the Mets version of Theo Epstein, who breaks this, you know, pseudo curse because not everybody agrees with me saying that the yoke is a curse. And he'll go down, and he'll go down in Mets history as, you know, the kid from Manhattan, the kid who grew up a Mets fan, the kid that was an intern that came in, swooped in, 
saved the franchise and got them to the next step with the richest owner in the sport. Maybe he will be. But as far as now, I see a guy coming in that has a ton, a ton of work ahead of him. A lot of questions, including his his own performance questions. And his first move, and I understand what Cohen is saying. I heard Cohen's press conference. You want to give the president of baseball operations autonomy to bring in his own people. Now, he didn't do that with Epler. Epler seemed to be part of the deal. And it might make sense because you want to integrate into this front office, have somebody who knows a little bit about what's been going on the last couple of years. So maybe that makes more sense than the field manager. But what I don't understand is that you have this wealth of baseball knowledge in the dugout, a manager that clearly the players like. I mean, look at the send-off. I mean, did Gabe Kapler, when he was fired, get those kind of send-offs? I don't think so when he was fired the other day. How many managers have you seen get that kind of send-off that he got today? And, you know, a guy that overnight in the middle of a lockout turned the Mets into a a polished, well-run team on the field and took a bunch of guys who were mercenaries and signed contracts that didn't know the organization at all to 100 wins and the playoffs. To not think that that guy could help you at least for another year while you figure out a ton of stuff, I think is short-sighted. To me... It smells like Stearns, like there's no way I'm coming into this job in this market and being saddled with someone else's manager. I need to make my imprint on the organization right away. And because he couldn't make the imprint with the general manager, he had, this is me speculating, he had to make the imprint with the manager. I bet you Cohen said, look, the manager is on you. You could do whatever you want, but Billy's got to stay until you decide he doesn't. Billy's at least got to get a shot. That's my feeling on how it went down, because it doesn't make sense. If you're saying that this move was made because the president wants to come in and have his own people, then that works for everybody, including Epler. And I'm sure there's going to be changes. Now, look, what does that mean for Hefner and and his work with the pitchers? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where they go with the coaching staff. I got to tell you, I'd keep Joey Cora around. The Mets haven't had this kind of third-base coach in forever. So I'd, you know, consider keeping around. And I I wonder where they're going to go manager-wise. You know, is it, you know, internal? Is it Eric Chavez who has said he has eyes on being a manager. You know, is Carlos Beltran's name back in the mix? Wouldn't that be a kick in the you-know-what that four years later, after all this nonsense, he's back where we're back where they were going to be four years ago? Or do they go out? Or there's a possibility of counsel being available? I mean, geez, God help us if it's Gabe Kapler. I can't. I mean, but here's what I will say. Buck leaving today wasn't just about the end of an era, maybe in Buck's career. I know the Astros won the division, but you can see the Sharks circling the wagon with Dusty out in Houston. And Girardi was fired over a year ago. And who knows how long, you know, Bochy's going to last out there in Texas. I mean, they had their own little collapse, right? You know, Bochy, a well-respected manager. But there is a war right now on the traditional old-school manager. A guy that didn't grow up in analytics doesn't have any opposition to them, but was an you know embraces analytics on a more granular level, and somebody who has wealth and experience of people skills and old school managerial skills. It is clear to me that the new generation of uh, front office types and the media want these guys out. They don't want to cover them anymore. They don't want to deal with them anymore. They want Dave Roberts. They want Gabe Kapler. 
They want those type of guys. They want what Art Howe was in Oakland. That middle manager that takes the lineup card from the front office and just does his duty. Now, I believe there's still guys out there, Alex Cora comes to mind, who have the ability to do both. And I hope that the Mets, as they do their due diligence on hiring a manager, really put in the player interaction, the people skill interaction that goes into the job. Look at what's going on with the Yankees with their pitching coach, uh, Matt Blake, who it reports are the players don't even listen to. You can't just bring somebody in that knows how to interpret data and new age philosophy to these guys. They need to know that they have somebody that they can connect with. And I've said, and Buck did all of these things well. I don't care what you say. They have to manage the clubhouse well. He clearly did that. They have to manage the media well. He did that, despite the fact that they didn't always agree with them. He handled them masterfully. And they have to manage a bullpen. And you don't like how he managed the bullpen this year. That's fine. He didn't really have the same resources and assets that he had last year. And I'll tell you what, that bullpen in 2022 that did well, thank you, Diaz, changed a lot, was a little shallow too. And he did an outstanding job outstanding job and some of that was how he was able to space out rest some of that was understanding what he had on the inside of the player not just through the analytics and I think a lot of that to do with communication and a wealth of experience that goes back to Billy Martin Billy Martin that goes back to Casey Stengel and Casey Stengel's knowledge that pretty much goes back to the beginning of baseball if you really want to put it frank so I think this was a bad move I say David Stearns is 0 for 1 I would have kept Everything together, I would have evaluated this organization. I wouldn't have come in and torched the manager. That is his right. I say this is the first bad move that Stearns has has done. I'm very curious which direction he goes. And I'm going to tell you this right now, guys. And this isn't me being negative. I've already seen it on Twitter. I am not here to drink of the chalice of David Stearns. I am not impressed by four playoff appearances in Milwaukee. I don't care. I don't care that he interned for the Mets. I don't care that he grew up on the Upper East Side. I don't care about any of that. I want to see a well-run, competent organization that has a plan, goes out, and executes it and sustains it. And I think Buck would have been, or a manager like Buck, would be one of those type of people that, quite honestly, should be part of that solution. And the fact that he's not is disappointing. So I'm very curious to hear what Stearns has to say. And look, he's not going to lose the press conference tomorrow. Nobody loses a press conference, and this kid ain't going to lose a press conference. He is the darling of the media. But before we say he's Theo Epstein, because he's not, and he ain't even Billy Bean, he's not. He hasn't proven any of that. Let's see what he's got, because the clock starts now. 12 o'clock tomorrow, the clock starts. And we want answers. None of this half measures. Well, maybe we'll do this, and maybe we'll do that, and we'll win if this, and probabilistic that. You know, that's the kind of stuff that Billy Epler's gotten away with, and you know what? Fine, he's now doing the grunt work. We'll see how they divide the the responsibilities. I want to know tomorrow, what's the plan for 2024? Are you planning on competing and going to the tournament? Or if you're talking about taking a step back, why even keep these in-prime offensive players? Why keep Alonzo? Why keep McNeil? Why keep Nimmo? Sh- shoot, think about trading Lindor. What, are you going to waste three years of their prime? On them just putting up hollow numbers, playing for a bad team? I got to say, with what I laid out to you at the beginning of the intro, 
with the core offensive players, with Diaz coming back, with some good mid-rotation pieces, and even possibly some depth with the guys like Buto, etc., that showed their wares over the last few weeks, you should have enough to be able to put together an 85-win team. Or better yet, I can't see why, if this guy is so smart, and with this owner's checkbook, even while they're rebuilding, they don't want to go out and go and swim in the deep end of the pool, they don't want to get involved with Otani, fine. They should be able to put together a team that can win 88 to 90 games, and that should be enough to at least be in the conversation in the final two weeks of September. And if this guy can't do it with this group that he's got now, then there's a problem. And if he doesn't think he can, then he might as well rip the whole darn thing apart, and we'll start our five-year rebuild, and we'll hear about this guy for five years while they lose 95 games, and we could talk about the draft every year, and God only knows when it's going to be relevant baseball around City Field. I will tell you, they drew 2.5, 2.6 million fans this year. For a team that made the playoffs and won 100 games, that's low. That's low. They should be drawing 3 million fans. But we know about the economy. Nobody wants to talk about that. We know about how expensive things are. We talked about ticket prices last week. Nobody's coming out to this building unless they go on the secondary market and they buy it from someone who's taking a bath at 60 to 70 plus below face to come see a team that's David Stern's marketing rebuild. Not interested in that. If they want to do both, and it's hard because they've shown how hard it is to do both, I'm interested in that. And the other thing they better really seriously think about, one of the first things you better seriously think about, better get serious about who these prospects are. Because I have to tell you, other than Alvarez, I haven't been impressed with one of them. Brett Beatty has been the worst number two prospect I've seen come through these doors in a long time. I don't know how he made it on anybody's list. He stinks. He can't even feel the ground ball. You guys saw it the other day against Miami. Vientos is striking out over 30-something percent of the time. Mauricio, we'll see. I'm not ready to you know, make a declaration one way or the other, but to me, he looks more like trade bait. You know, Soto get, There's nobody, and I'll tell you, even, you know, I possibly with Parada coming up the way, you know, maybe even look at Alvarez. You know, if Soto's available, you got to seriously think, can any of these kids entice the Padres? Probably not. But you definitely have to think about it. But that's another story for another day. So, anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Francisco Lindor, 30-30 club. What do milestones mean? Because we have bigger bases, a pitch clock, pitchers can't throw over. Are we going to start to see what we see in the NFL with offense changing the game because they've loosened the rules? Is this now the post-NBA where nobody's allowed to play defense, where everybody shoots three-pointers? Can we just pencil 30-30 in for a bunch of players every year and diminish the whole thing? We'll talk about that more right after this.